The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Time Out Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. In keeping with my January promise to you to make all of our shows this month about your health, your beauty, and your well-being, we will, after the first break, be bringing you the legendary John McDougall, M.D., And right now, it is my pleasure, and I, by the way, am Victoria Moran. I'm the Main Street Vegan, and I hope you're having a wonderful day in your vegan life or on your vegan journey on whatever street you live on. We're going to be bringing first somebody who knows about the beauty part of all this. Sunny Subramanian, a vegan since 2000, was the first vegan beauty blogger. It's good to be first, isn't it? She hit the scene way back in 2007 with the website Vegan Beauty Review, where she writes about the latest and greatest cruelty-free products, fashion, food, and everything vegan in between. She is also the co-author of a jam-packed, amazing, oh my gosh, I didn't know you could make stuff for your skin that was this fabulous, The Compassionate Chick's Guide to DIY Beauty, 125 Recipes for Vegan, Gluten-Free, Cruelty-Free Makeup, Skin, and Hair Products. Welcome, Sunny. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm super excited. Oh, it's wonderful. I love the girly shows. I know that we have a a very uh, multi-gendered audience, but... You know what? When you grow up reading all those magazines, to talk to somebody who is a- actually an expert on this subject like you are is just so much fun. Now, Aww. back in the day, when, when I went vegetarian back in, lo and behold, 1969, we tried to make this stuff, and we generally failed. So how hard is it to make your own beauty products? Well, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the recipes in the book are kind of taking it back to like when people used to make their stuff from scratch. In fact, a lot of these recipes were adapted from ones that my mom had passed down to me. Um, and I'm basically incorporating ingredients that are like the key featured ingredients and like the best eye creams and um, like moisturizers. Like if something features argon oil, for all you know, when you buy it at the store, it just has like a teeny tiny fraction of the rock star ingredient when you could use 100% of that ingredient all over your face. Um, So it's actually quite simple to make it, um, and all the recipes are really customizable, so you can cater it to your skin type, um, whether you have oily skin or dry skin or combination skin, um, and they're really effective. That's the best part is um, they're so pure. (laughs) So many of them require ingredients you already have at home, in your kitchen. Um, They're almost pure enough to eat. 
Um, they're just good for you, easy to make, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I find them to be really effective. That doesn't mean I don't go out and buy store-bought stuff as well. There's like a balance. Yeah. Well, is it cheaper? Do you save a lot of money? It's definitely cheaper because you don't have to worry about, I mean, the people who are producing things in stores have to deal with packaging and, like, the organic certifications and this and that. Like, you're basically in control of everything, and you can buy your ingredients um, in bulk. Mm-hmm. I usually do that on Amazon.com. They have amazing deals, and, of course, they often have uh, free shipping. Um, and, again, a lot of the ingredients are already stuff you have at home, things like baking soda or olive oil or fresh fruits and veggies like a lot of that stuff is incorporated in these recipes okay well you started answering what was going to be my next question let's just say somebody wants to start doing this today give us a list a shopping list Um, we've got the baking soda and the olive oil yeah (laughs) so beauty oils are pretty essential my favorites are um, jojoba oil I, i actually like to buy my jojoba oil at trader joe's Um, But that's pretty easy to get anywhere. Um, And then you'll want some kind of butter, like shea butter or cocoa butter or I'm trying to think of mango butter. There's so many different kinds of butter. So you'll want um, some oils, some butters, uh, some waxes. I can go with soy wax or candelilla wax. Um, And that's basically going to be your binder for things like um, for lotions and creams and and bars of soap and stuff like that. You'll want some kind of waxy base. And then essential oils is pretty key. (laughs) And that's, you know, you can just go fun, have have fun picking the different scents that you like. I think lavender is probably my go-to because it's great for all skin types and it just smells really beautiful. (laughs) Um, And it's antiseptic, antibacterial, and it smells like beautiful flowers. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, if you have wax, butters, essential oils, you can make so many things with just that. Um, I'm trying to think. Baking soda is really good. Arrowroot powder, which are also like kitchen staples. Um, <laughs> well, it, it, it's sounding... think that, I mean, that can get you pretty far. That's cool. So yeah. I know a lot of people get confused between cruelty-free and vegan. Can you clarify for everyone? Sure. So those terms are definitely not mutually exclusive. Um, So cruelty-free means that the products haven't been tested on animals in any which way or form, whether it's by a third party or directly, Um, and none of the ingredients have been tested, not just the final product hasn't been tested. Um, And cruelty, yeah, so that's cruelty-free. And vegan means there's no animal products or byproducts whatsoever, things like lanolin and beeswax, honey, stuff like that. Um, so those terms don't mean the same thing, but it's awesome when they're both vegan and cruelty-free. And um, hopefully one day those terms will be mutually exclu- exclusive and everything cruelty-free would be vegan by default too, maybe. Yes. Well, and then there's also the toxicity thing. And I know that most of the time when a company goes to the trouble to be cruelty-free, they're also going to be light on the toxins, but not necessarily. So are there some ingredients when we're shopping for commercial products that we really need to be avoiding? Yeah, I think parabens is probably like the most widely known one, which are preservatives, Um Also things like phthalates, which are often found in perfumes, are known endocrine disruptors um, and can cause all kinds of, I don't know, (laughs) birth defects. This isn't like across the board, but they have shown these types of effects long term. Um, I mean, pretty much if you look at the back of a label of a product and you see ingredients that you don't recognize or they have 14 syllables and you're like, what is this? Like, put it down. You want to make sure that the ingredients are super pure and stuff you recognize, and they should all be plant-based and good for you. And um, even though there are a lot of cruelty-free companies, that doesn't mean they're necessarily non-toxic. Like you said, um, it's kind of like the situation with Oreos, how they're accidentally vegan, but it doesn't mean they're good for you by any means. It's kind of like that in the beauty world as well. I see. So because this is January and I have promised my listeners that we are going to help them do those resolutions and (laughs) really make this the best January ever, despite whatever else might be going on in the world that people are uncomfortable (laughs) with. So, So give us a beauty routine. Just pick some lovely vegan woman off the street and help her feel incredibly good about herself. 
Well, I'll quickly go over like the beauty routine I go with, which is what I would recommend for anyone. Um, so in the morning, you always want to start with a fresh face, and um, I usually use a gentle cleanser. Actually, lately, I've been obsessed with um, the oil cleansing method, which is literally you're cleansing your face with oil. It's just one ingredient, and I personally like to use jojoba oil, and it's also great at nighttime when you're removing your makeup, which you should always do before bed every night. Always remove your makeup. Um, so you want to cleanse your skin, and oil attracts oil. So um, I know it seems counterintuitive, but it won't make you break out as long as you're using a non-comedogenic oil. And um, after cleansing, you'll want to use a toner, and um, that'll basically kind of close up your pores and also provide a little bit of more moisture. And then you'll want to moisturize, use an eye cream. Um, anywhere you have, like, troubled spots, you can use serums. If you need an infusion of vitamin C or any kind of anti-aging serums, and, um, yeah, my, my biggest, biggest tip, which I wish I had done, like, since I was in, I don't know, middle school, is it's so important to moisturize, and I don't know if enough people do that. It's probably my, my number one beauty tip is to moisturize <laughs> the heck out of your skin. And the purest way to do that is with straight-up beauty oils because you're getting, like, concentrated goodness. And for that, you can use argon oil or sea buckthorn berry oil, a jojoba oil, uh, coconut oil is one of those, um, it's a hot ingredient, but it's not so great on the face because it can cause your skin to break out. Mm. But um, you just find an oil that works with your skin type and go with it. Cool. Okay, and how about during the day? Are you someone who believes in sun protection? Oh, absolutely. SPF is so key. And it's interesting because a lot of natural beauty oils, such as coconut oil, already has natural SPF in it. I think coconut oil has SPF 4. Um also, a lot of mineral foundation powders come with SPF in it, too, if, if you're not keen on, like, slathering the white gunk on your face because it does leave, you know, that white residue. The all-natural stuff does. So, um, yes, SPF is huge, and not just in the summery months, but year-round because the sun's UV rays are always out no matter what the weather's like. And then what do we do at night? We've been, we were good in the morning. We've been good all day. We can't just uh, watch a Dr. Phil rerun and fall asleep. We have to go do face. Well, you know, if if you wash your face thoroughly, no, you should always wash your face thoroughly at night. Um, you don't necessarily have to wash it in the morning if you've took if you've taken everything off like really well at night. But um, yeah, always make sure to get that makeup off. And you've also had, like, if you live in a smoggy city, like, there's all the environmental issues that are affecting your face as well. Um, so you'll definitely want to thoroughly cleanse. And maybe once a week to, like, a microdermabrasion or just some kind of, you know, facial scrub to kind of slough off the dead skin cells. And then basically the same routine as you did in the morning. Um, use a nice cleanser that matches your skin type. And then you're going to want to tone and moisturize, use your serums and creams. And just, like, my beauty oils, which I, like, live by, I slather those on my face at night. Um, and I wake up with the softest, softest skin because you just allow those oils to seep in all night long. And it's just, <laughs> you wake up with the best skin. Mm. It, it sounds idyllic. And listeners, the book, The Compassionate Chick's Guide to DIY Beauty, is really fabulous. It's it's almost oh, all skin you. care, but also hand care. You've got cuticle oils, but you even have like an eyeliner. I mean, this is pretty amazing. And as I look at all of the ingredients, they're all stuff that somebody could eat. Now, I know we're going to have an oil-free doctor on next who says, don't put the oil in your body. <laughs> but the fact <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> is, you could. And really, anything that you can swallow just makes me feel very good about putting it on the face. So, exactly. final last word. Sunny, how would you advise every woman everywhere to feel beautiful the way she is right now? Well, I think it's very important just to be aware of the ingredients you put on your body and, and kind of count that as a form of self-care. Like you're saying, you know, if it's good enough to eat, it's good enough for your body. And when you think about things like nicotine patches, like that just goes to show you things you put on your skin into your bloodstream. 
And um, it's been shown that 60% of all the things we put on our body do seep seep in. Um, So just love yourself enough to use really pure, good-for-you ingredients that are going to benefit you in the long run, like ditch the gunky stuff. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Love yourself enough to check out the Compassionate Chicks Guide to DIY Beauty and also the website Vegan Beauty Review. Sunny Subramanian, you are beautiful inside and out. Thank you so much for being on our show. You're so sweet. I adore you. Thank you so much. This has been so nice. (laughs) Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Stay pretty. Oh, thank you, too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Everybody else, stay with us. Aren't you excited? We are going to talk to Dr. John McDougall. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find of spiritually conscious living start now for a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential tune in to the yoga hour living the eternal way with yogacharya ellen grace o'brien every thursday morning at 10 a.m central 8 a.m pacific only on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everyone. I am so pleased and honored to be introducing to you, probably not for the first time, this guy is all over, but someone that I have admired for such a long time. I remember the morning in 1986, waking up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I lived at the time, to a clock radio. And on the program was an interview with Dr. John McDougall. And he said, 
everything sensible and wonderful and right. And I remember going out into that day thinking, well, okay, we don't have world peace, but the diet thing has been settled. I guess I didn't realize that was more the beginning (laughs) than the end. But I have admired Dr. John A. McDougall for all that time, along with millions of other people. He's been studying and speaking out about the effects of nutrition and disease for well over 30 years. He's founder and director of the nationally renowned 10-day residential McDougall program that he and his wife, Mary McDougall RN, host at a luxury resort in Santa Rosa, California, where medical miracles occur through diet. And, and lifestyle changes. Dr. McDougall is a certified internist by the Board of Internal Medicine and the National Board of Medical Examiners. He and Mary are also the authors of nationally best-selling books, as well as co-founders of Dr. McDougall's Right Foods, which produces high-quality vegetarian cuisine to make it easier for people to eat well on the go. The website is drmcdougall.com, and oh my gosh, there's so much else. You'll want to check out the show notes, and we'll talk about some of these other things that he's doing, only dozens and dozens. Welcome, Dr. McDougall. Well, thank you. Uh, 1986 is 31 years ago, so my guess is I've been at this for 40 years, and I've been uh, in the medical business for half a century. So I guess that gives me some credibility. It gives you credibility, plus you still look so good. So does Mary. Oh, well, you know, we're 70. There's credibility and, uh, there, too. Life life has been good. I've had a chance to take care of personally over 10,000 people. And in a living situation, I've had a chance to take care of uh, over 6,000 people. Wow. What a wonderful experience and, and legacy. So for those who don't know, Tell us what it was like back in Hawaii when you first awakened to this new way of doing medicine. Well, that was uh, between 1973 and 1976. And uh, it was just, you know, by happenstance. You know how you go through life and you kind of bounce off walls and you don't understand why, but when you look back, you do. Well, that kind of happened to me and. uh after my internship in Honolulu at the Queens Medical Center, Mary and I did not want to leave Hawaii. So our decision was to get a job in Hawaii. And what was available was a job as a sugar plantation doctor on the Big Island of Hawaii. So that's where we traveled to, from Oahu to the Big Island. And that's where we spent the next three years, which uh, changed our lives in many ways. We had our first two children there. Uh, I learned what a terrible doctor I was because I was taking care of 5,000 people with chronic illnesses, and no matter how many drugs I pushed at them, they never got well. And uh, so my conclusion was it was my fault. But, of course, I know today, as every well-educated doctor does, know that the fault is that the remedies, in other words, drugs and surgery for chronic disease, are a clearly documented failure. Without any contesting, uh, I'm writing a letter on uh, diabetic drugs uh, and uh, how they've been um, a serious insult on humanity. Uh, this is the common treatment for type 2 diabetes. This is a criminal behavior that has been going on for my whole career and continues. Uh, if you look at my May 2016 newsletter, you'll understand that my uh, criticism and concern, well-documented, uncontested, goes to heart surgery. Uh, Anyway, we could go on to uh, various cancer treatments. They are an unmitigated failure. Uh, And again, without question, based on the scientific research and conclusions of some well-respected organizations. Uh, So as a a young plantation doctor, I, I took it personally that my patients failed to get well no matter how many drugs I pushed at them. And I spent three years doing that, pushing drugs. And then I uh, left to become a board-certified internist. I went to the University of Hawaii residency program. But let me take you back to my three years as a plantation doctor. During that time, I also uh, had experiences that were kind of unique, in fact, definitely unique. There are no such thing, by the way, as sugar plantation doctors anymore. 
But uh, between 1973 and 1976, uh, my obligation was to take care of nearly 5,000 people who differed in the way they eat because they were first, second, third, and fourth generation Filipinos, Japanese, Chinese, and Koreans, which means that the first generation learned to eat in their native land of the Philippines, China, Korea, Japan, etc. And what they learned is a diet that was about 90% rice. It was white rice, but still rice, with some fruits and vegetables and no dairy and a, an occasional animal food, meat. And what I was looking at first generation were people who never, ever suffered from heart disease, breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 or type 1 diabetes. Uh, these people were essentially immune from the diseases that affect you, your friends, your family. It was because of their diet, not their genetics. The second generation raised on the Big Island under more Western influence, got a little fatter and sicker. And by the time I got to the grandkids, or the, yeah, the grandkids, the third generation, they were just as, as fat and sick as anybody else I'd cared for. And again, the only thing that changed was the food. They went from rice, which is starch, to animal foods, which are meat and dairy. And they went from the immunity of obesity and common diseases to suffering from an epidemic of uh, these diseases. And not only is it on uh, the islands of Hawaii these days, but uh, these epidemics have spread to their native lands, like China and India and Japan and Vietnam and Korea. The epidemics of uh, disease from the Western diet have reached similar proportions to those in the United States and Canada. Uh, for example, China in 2013 in a JAMA article, Journal of the American Medical Association, it was bragged that 12% of the population was frankly diabetic and half were pre-diabetic. That's similar to the U.S. And uh, last year it was uh, talked about in the British Medical Journal that the middle class people from India are now as fat and sick as the upper class. And so it is worldwide. Uh, articles just passed, uh, published last week uh, show that the, quote, poor people who used to live on starch-based diets, diets of rice and corn and potatoes in Africa, China, you know, Asia, South America, Central America, the poor people suffer from as much, if not more, hypertension these days, diabetes, and obesity, as the upper class does. And, uh, you know, this has all happened within my lifespan, and yours too, Victoria. You've seen all this. This is anybody of our age has been able to watch history change and watch the change in the health of people and obesity in people worldwide. This is not a mystery as to why people are sick. Any open-minded person, any person of history, of geography, uh, can see exactly what you and I are talking about. The sad thing is the response has been without without almost any exception, except for you and I and a few of our uh, fellow colleagues, uh, the response has been uh, more drugs, more surgery, more lies, and uh, the public pays uh, for the treatments of chronic sur or, uh, surgery for chronic coronary artery disease, complete failure. Diabetic pills kill uh, antihypertensive medications, except for the extremes, are useless and harmful. No, breast cancer treatments have uh, not changed in terms of their brutality and ineffectiveness since I studied it, started studying it 40 years ago. You know, the thing that is different is they're just uh, more fat, sick people. Uh, my guess is when you and I first learned about this, the size of the world population was about half of what it is now, maybe 4 billion people. And now there are 7 billion sick people. And again, I may have my numbers off. There could have been. Three billion back then, and now there are seven billion fats. Half of the people fat and sick. More than half of the people fat and sick. So, so Doctor McDougall, I'm, I'm, why, why? When I heard you on the radio show a thousand years ago, it made enough sense to me that I thought we were done. 
but it evidently did not make sense to the AMA and and the food industry and the governments around the world. Why? Well, grow up, grow up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is not a conspiracy. This is uh, just a matter of uh, business. It's just economics. So nobody's out there to hurt you and your spouse and your children. Uh, they're just out there to make money. And the way you make money is you push drugs and ineffective damaging surgeries. Uh, you make virtually no money telling people to eat potatoes, rice, corn, and to get off the drugs and not to go to the heart surgeon. So uh, it's, it's just a, a financial issue as it has been always. You know, we're not talking about any new human behavior. We're talking about human behaviors that have been documented uh, throughout all of uh, written and verbal history. Uh, money is the root of all evil, you've heard. And uh, it's, it's just money. That's all it is. Uh, there's uh, mm. informa- information is spread, is spread by money. That's uh, basically it. If you look in your town, I don't care where you live, the biggest, shiniest buildings in town are hospitals and cancer centers and heart disease centers. Grow up <laughs> and protect your family and yourself by understanding what's going on. Amen. Now, I want you to tell me about a word, a word that you use a lot, and that is in the title of one of your recent books, and that is the word starch. You wrote the starch solution, and yet I was brought up that starch was at best a cheap filler and at worst the cause of obesity and diabetes. Why did it get such a bad rap? And tell us what's good about it. Well, that happened, uh, actually, I think, within your lifetime. Within your lifetime. Uh, it happened in 1977. <clears throat> what happened is uh, the Dietary Goals for the United States were published in February 1977. And food industry went ballistic because they told Americans to eat more starch, um, more whole grains, more fruits, more vegetables, and uh, much less meat and dairy. Well, the food industry went ballistic because, in part, they saw what happened to big tobacco in 1964 when the Surgeon General Luther Terry came out with the Surgeon General's report on smoking and health. And big food said uh, 13 years later, we will not allow what happened to big tobacco to happen to us. And so they fought back, and part of what they did was they changed the nomenclature, the words, If you don't have words, then you can't take action. And so back then in 77, uh, starch was vilified. That's what your mother and grandmother used to talk about in terms of what you were going to have for lunch and dinner. You know, you were going to have potatoes or rice or beans. But uh, they uh, vilified the word starch and instead told you to call it complex carbohydrate. Well, none of you know what a complex carbohydrate is. Neither does your dietician or your medical doctor. It's just too uh, nondescriptive of a word, whereas everybody knows what starch is. So the other thing they did is they uh, changed the subsequent dietary guidelines for the U.S., which are published every five years. Uh, That started in 1980. They uh, made sure they were properly worded, and this is the people who work for the USDA, which, by the way, half of them are members of industry, the dairy, meat, uh, and other industries. What they did is they made it so that the uh, dietary guidelines for Americans published every five years do not talk about the harmful effects of meat and dairy and eggs. What they do when they refer to the harmful effects in diet on the Americans is they call it saturated fat and cholesterol. Well, again, none of you know what saturated fat and cholesterol is, but you can recognize meat poultry, dairy, and eggs. So you could take action to save your family if they allowed those words to be used in our guidelines, but they don't. So uh, starch was vilified in the 1970s, and uh, people believe starch is fattening, even in the face of the fact that if they just opened their eyes, and again, through geography, which is rapidly vanishing with the dietary changes that are occurring worldwide, And through history, they would realize that all 
large, successful populations of people throughout all of verifiable history have lived on starch-based diets. For example, the Mayans and Aztec were, Aztecs were known as the people of the corn. Their civilizations lasted 1,300 years, and corn was their primarily, primary uh, calorie intake, and they were mighty warriors, and great athletes, and they lived on corn. You can go further south, you can go to the Andes, uh, where the Incas are famous, and they lived on diets of potatoes and quinoa when they went off to battle because potatoes were too hard to carry. If you look to the Middle East, where you will, by the way, if you turn on the news tonight, you will look at uh, Syria and Egypt and Iran and Iraq because that's that's what everybody's talking about worldwide. It's the hot spots in the world. But uh, this area of the world used to be called the breadbasket of the world. You know, bread used to be the staff of life. You look to Asia, uh, still people, even young, when they think about Asians, uh, even though that's, as I told you, completely changed in the last five, 35 years, they think about trim people who live on rice. 90% of their diet before 1980 was rice. So, uh, you know, what is taught, what is commonly believed is obviously incorrect. Uh, just open your eyes. Mm. So lots of people complicate this, Dr. McDougall, and I know that uh, you have actually said even the term diet and lifestyle doesn't get it. You say it's the food. Yeah, right. It's a distraction. See, for people, uh, and I'm talking about <clears throat> doctors and dietitians and the lay people, to talk about diet and lifestyle, that gives you an out. Uh, you can say, well, it's because I don't get enough exercise or I think bad thoughts or whatever. And as a consequence, you're able to take the focus of attention off the problem, which is the food. Actually, exercise is dangerous. If you stop and think about it, uh, those friends and family members who you know who have been uh, hospitalized or seriously injured this year or the past five years, this has happened as a consequence of them exercising. They're riding down the street and they get hit by a car on their bicycle or they're running along and they fall in a pothole. Uh, exercise is dangerous, but it's fun. You know, I swim with sharks. Uh, that happens to be my sport still is windsurfing and scuba diving. Uh, I don't do it for good health. I do it because I enjoy it. And you, you should also, you should do these things because they're fun. But don't kid yourself. This is not a healthy thing to do. Uh, likewise, thinking good thoughts has never taken anybody anyplace healthy that I know of. Not that you shouldn't do it. And what else does lifestyle cover? Anyways, it's a scapegoat. It's an out for people uh, so they don't have to consider what the real problem is. And that that is as uh, we have copyrighted and we have discussed it in great detail and is on our website. It's the food. <laughs> love and it. And I love how you say it. Yeah, you know, it's, you do yourself a disservice, uh, not only to yourself, but to your spouse, to your children, to believe otherwise. And the solution is just so, so simple. It's, uh, I guess it's part of the problem. People expect complex solutions to real-life problems. But the truth is simple and easy to understand. Uh, we were at a Mexican restaurant yesterday. Mary and I were ordering our typical bean burrito with whole beans and no cheese, no sour cream. <clears throat> and Mary pointed this out. She's usually married my wife and partner for the last 45 years. She's usually pretty uh, quiet and conservative about the things she says. But she actually looked to me and she said, look at the lady at the counter. Uh, she was obese. Uh, uh, she was Latino. And uh, she was about uh, a person and a half to two persons in, in size. And her husband was the same size, but mother, who was along with them, was trim and healthy looking. And actually, you know, if you didn't look too close, mom actually looked younger than daughter. So, uh, again, another example. Mom was raised in uh, probably rural Mexico on beans and corn and squash and 
my guess is she moved to the U.S. sometime and had uh, her daughter and probably other children, and they learned the Western diet. And among the fattest, sickest people in our country or Canada are the uh, the immigrants, or at least the second-generation immigrants, the second-generation Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, Latinos. You know, I don't, I don't care where you look in terms of country of origin. The second-generation black, which would not be second, but probably third or fourth generation, uh, the least uh, economically privileged people in our country are the fattest and sickest. You know, this is a terrible, terrible thing to realize. And Anyway, something that I've worked for 40 years, and I know you've worked for nearly 40 years to help fix, or at least 31. Uh, you asked me whether or not I see things changing. Yeah, sure. There are many, many more vegan, vegetarians today in a relative as well as absolute numbers. But in terms of absolute numbers, there are far more people today eating uh, cows and pigs uh, and their byproducts and, uh, and mammalian secretions, which are called cow's milk. Now, there are far more people in absolute number today that consume these toxic foods as did 31 or 40 years ago. So are we winning? I don't think so. Uh, is there any hope? Sure there is. There's uh, always hope, and that's why you and I uh, take the efforts we do every day to try and share this simple message to people. And, uh, you know, just to get really uh, really serious and uh, somewhat uh, depressing for a few of you, <clears throat> is things are going to change, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, they're changing right now. Just look outside. Uh, things are changing because Mother Nature doesn't care whether or not the meat and dairy and fish industry make a profit. Mother Nature's, nature's response is, uh, as I say, clearly uh, understood by 99.9% of the uh, educated people in the world. There are There's uh, one-tenth of a percent, and I'm not going to mention any names, who still think uh, global warming is a is a fallacy, and uh, many more people don't understand that the leading cause of uh, environmental destruction is the livestock that we consume. So uh, you ask whether or not things are going to change. Clearly, things are going to change. Uh, probably within my lifetime, as I mentioned, I'm seventy. But no doubt within the lifetime of my children and grandchildren, there are going to be major shifts in the world. And I don't see them as being things that uh, we can look forward to. I see them as disastrous changes. So will things change? Absolutely. Uh, are we going to be happy about it? I doubt it. With this kind of peril that we're looking at environmentally and certainly with what is known in in terms of health why is it that at every lecture that that you give or or any other authority on this issue the q and a's are what about gmos what about organics what about arsenic and rice i heard soy is bad why is the emphasis on the peripherals well because that requires you to do almost nothing and uh, it's uh, good for the economy, possibly. Well, let's just be specific. Uh, yes, there's arsenic and rice, but compared to what? Seafood contains the most of all arsenic compounds of any food. Uh, the reason the rice is full of arsenic is because it's grown on, uh, say, for example, in Louisiana, it's grown on uh, soils that were once used to grow cotton, and they used arsenic to kill the boll weevils. So that's why the rice contains arsenic and thallium and cesium and uh, many other toxic chemicals. And that's just not rice, but kale and cabbage and broccoli. These are foods that are called hyperaccumulators. And uh, the, the, this is a result of pollution of our soils. As far as GMOs, uh, I have never seen a case of GMO disease, nor has anybody else. 
yet uh, that's the primary focus of attention of uh, huge uh, a huge amount of the population. And I consider this a dangerous distraction because you're looking at GMOs. You're, you're not looking at the problem, which is the livestock. Uh, livestock, uh, the result of livestock production, well, one result is that uh, it produces more than half the greenhouse gases. So if you're looking at GMOs, and there's no such thing to date as a case of GMO disease, then you miss the problem. It's similar to uh, uh, gluten issues. There are people, maybe 1 in 250, certainly fewer than 1 in 100, who have a condition of gluten uh, intolerance called celiac disease. It's very serious, and they need to stay away from wheat, barley, and rye. But if you walk into a typical grocery or health food store, approximately 40% of the products are sold as, these are not natural products, but processed products, are sold as uh, gluten-free. You have gluten-free cookies, gluten-free cake, and so on. And again, uh, we're focusing our attention on something that is of importance, but not to the importance that has been uh, accelerated to. And as a result, we're missing the real important issue, which is to save planet Earth by not consuming the livestock, the cows and the pigs and dairy products. And, you know, Victoria, as I mentioned, I'm uh, 70 years old. And when I first started out as a young boy, my passion was the ocean. And since the 1950s, 90% of the fish are gone. You know, they're, they're gone. And uh, so if you're still a fish eater, eat up, because pretty soon they'll all be gone. Uh, anyway, these, these, these are the major issues. And to be distracted by uh, misinformation, uh, which is largely what we dis- uh, discussed, is misinformation, is uh, a serious consequence to your children and grandchildren. And I would ask every one of you to become educated about these topics and to step forward. Uh, these days I see, because I watch television and the news, I see people uh, marching in the streets. It's about time. And I don't think it's going to get quieter. And it's because of the political situation in the U.S., regardless of uh, what your particular bend is. Uh, the new administration is a lightning rod for topics. And uh, these topics need to be discussed. So, therefore, I have uh, hope that what I just discussed with you about the criminal behavior of the drug companies and the heart surgery business, I hope that the criminal behavior of the food industries uh, will come to the public's attention and it will be addressed even though it may be painful, even though you might find yourself marching in the streets like we did during the Vietnam conflict, it's time, it's overdue to have that kind of reaction. That's what I think. And uh, many of us agree with you. Now, let me ask you, gosh, I can't believe we're running out of time. But something that, that we all hear, certainly lay people hear it from people all the time, is I'm sorry, I'm doing paleo and I feel fabulous. Or not long ago, I I had a party and the only woman who happened to attend who wasn't vegan, it just turned out that way. She's very brave. She said, I was vegetarian in my 20s, but I'm carb sensitive and prone to hypoglycemia. And I just feel better with some animal protein. I can't tell her she doesn't feel better. Why is that? Because we hear it uh, a lot. Paleo may be a step forward in terms of the fact that it eliminates dairy and refined foods and sugars. But uh, the uh, father of the paleo movement, Lauren Cordain, who happens to be himself overweight, if not obese, and very sick looking, he uh, recommends in his book, The Paleo Diet, that we consume 55% of our diet as animals. And there's nothing off the list, including endangered species of animals. So um, I don't know, you know, you want to continue to live under that kind of misinformation. Uh, Victoria and I will do everything we can to set you straight. Uh, 
And uh, people love to hear good news about their bad habits. Something that's (laughs) going to be written on my epitaph is people love to hear good news about their bad habits. So any diet that comes out, and this includes low-carb, which is taught by some of the fattest, sickest people in terms of gurus on this planet. Just take a look at the gurus who are teaching low-carb diets, and you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I am fat-shaming, but gurus deserve fat-shaming if that's the case. Now, people love to hear that uh, you'll be in good health uh, living on bacon, butter, and brie, a la Robert Atkins, who, by the way, is dead, and I'm still alive, and we're the same age, or uh, once upon a time we were. Uh, so people like to hear you can eat bacon, butter, and brie. And there are a whole bunch of Atkins knockoffs out there like Wheat Belly and Grain Brain. Likewise, you know, paleo sounds good. I can still eat my <clears throat> chicken and my cows and my pigs, maybe an occasional rattlesnake or I don't know. You know, you, you, get, you get my message. Uh, for uh, people to hear they have to give up these foods, which, by the way, are innately disgusting. The only way you can get people to eat dairy and meat and poultry is to cover it with salt and or sauces because it's innately disgusting. Uh, When people understand this fact and the fact that what they consider comfort foods, which are uh, foods like pasta, marinara sauce, bread, the staff of life, bread, potatoes, people love potatoes. When they understand the truth and their eyes are opened, then they're in control. Uh, everything makes sense. But until you understand that basic truth that the human beings are starch eaters, starchitarians, starchivores, you know, not plant food based, but starch based, approximately 90% of your diet should come from starch, like it has in the past. You know, 99.9% of the people throughout all of human history, have obtained the bulk of the calories from starch. Why would that change over the last 35 years? So until you understand that as a, as a person, as a part of our community, and as part of a, being a citizen of the world, uh, then you're hopeless. You know, we're hopeless. But once you understand the concept of starch, I'm not talking about living on kale and broccoli and cauliflower. I'm talking about living on beans, corn, rice, potatoes, and sweet potatoes, the food that you love and need, until you get that clearly in your mind, in your in your community, uh, we're doomed. You're doomed. This is so interesting. I heard from someone who decided to go vegan and, and ended up with some kind of medical emergency, and she said, well, I was just eating fruits and vegetables. And I'm thinking, well, I would just get so hungry that if I were only eating fruits and, you know, non-starchy vegetables, I would reach for something else. But um, like so many other people, that sounds like someone who could uh, pay a visit to drmcdougall.com, and that's M-C-D-O-U-G-A-L-L. And I will put on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net all of these wonderful links uh, for Dr. McDougall's newsletter, for um, his his free program with hot topics, for his short videos. Um, there's just a wealth of information. Thank you so much, Dr. John McDougall, for the contribution you have made, certainly to me personally and so much more to the world. It's a pleasure to be um, traveling on Earth at the same time as you. Well, Victoria, this is not a battle to be won by one person. Uh, we have a, uh, a huge army out there, you included, who uh, have stepped forward at some risk uh, to, to make this world a better place. The, the earth is worth saving. Yes, it is. Uh, Amen to that. So, and so let's, are we. Let's go on to, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so, oh, so very much. Uh, best wishes to your lovely family. And listeners, thank you so much for being a part of this today. We're going to have to get Dr. McDougall back, maybe twice a year, whether you need it or not. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Unity Online Radio. God bless you. Eat your veggies and your starches. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey.
This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. think of peace, we may imagine ourselves sitting high on a mountaintop at daybreak or walking on a secluded beach while the sun sets. But peace isn't a luxury reserved only for special occasions or special places. It's an essential tool for daily living. My peace isn't dependent upon a particular place or event. At any time and in any circumstance, I can shift my focus from the appearances of life to the reality of peace within myself. Park Cousins said, How things look on the outside of us depends on how things are on the inside of us. So if you don't like what you're seeing around you, paint a different picture within you. Peace. What I see is what I get. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Do you experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Have you ever considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon central, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. It is the birthright of each and every one of us to live an awakened life. Most religions and spiritual traditions teach us that we need to adopt a certain belief system or follow some prescribed steps to attain a state of enlightenment. A long-held belief about awakening is that only a small number of people destined to become gurus or spiritual teachers can attain it. It is certainly true that until recent times, only a small number of people on the planet had attained this state of full self-realization. These saints, mystics, and spiritual masters were seen as special. They certainly were at the time. However, times are changing. This message was brought to you by T.J. Woodward, host of Awakened Living Radio. Learn more from T.J. on his weekly podcasts. Episodes are available on unityonlineradio.org, iTunes, and Google Play Music.
Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify.